From Advisory Board, we are bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. In the last eight months, our industry and frankly, our world has gone through incredible change. And one of the biggest challenges has been that back to school season hasn't necessarily meant back to work. This has had a serious effect on the healthcare workforce, and it's a problem that, frankly, we aren't talking about enough. So in this episode, I want to talk about how to embed flexibility and work-life balance into our clinician schedules. To have that conversation, I've brought back physician expert Sarah Hostetter and added nursing expert Lauren Ruers. Hey, Lauren. Hey, Sarah. Thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Sarah, what is your one piece of advice to Lauren uh, as a veteran of the pod before we really dive in? Oh, that's a tough one. Well, what I did tell her was that you record one of these and there's a delay between when they record and air. And so it's very easy to wonder what you sounded like and what you said in those two to three to four days in between. But you always sound fine because you're so smart. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. We're going to be talking about flexibility in this episode, which means different things to different people. So let's do a little bit of level setting. Pre-COVID, how did the healthcare industry think about flexibility? Well, from a nursing perspective or from most clinicians outside of physicians, there's not a ton of flexibility, particularly in the inpatient setting. So most folks are work almost always 12-hour shifts a few days a week, and there's not much wiggle room except in certain situations, like, for example, phased retirements. And Sarah, what did it look like in the physician space? A little bit more flexibility on the physician side of the house, especially in the ambulatory space. So we were still pretty strict on those nine to five, starting to see more expanded hours and flexibility in physician schedules, picking and choosing. But for the most part, we were sticking with pretty strict templates outside of the let's get away from docs leaving at 3 p.m. on Fridays to play golf, um, that caricature that that circulates so much. So not a lot of flexibility. Right. But then COVID hit and suddenly the industry needed an incredibly flexible workforce. What did that look like at the very beginning of the surge? And what does that look like now? Well, the big goal of staffing a deployment at the beginning of surge was to expand critical care capacity and just COVID capacity on the inpatient side as much as possible. And somewhat conveniently, that coincided with the suspension of scheduled procedures. So organizations had to ask their staff to flex to different settings. So many folks moved from the outpatient side to work on the inpatient side and also to work within different roles that they are traditionally not used to, for example, working in team-based models at different times. So there was an incredible uptick in flexibility just so that we were able to create that capacity. Yeah. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was hearing about physicians suddenly being willing to work nights and weekends, which Sarah knows doctors typically aren't really willing to do. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, we spent a lot of research time 
helping physician executives figure out how to offer extended hours in the ambulatory space. And then all of a sudden, we saw this huge influx of telemedicine. We saw docs willing to pick up patients whenever patients wanted to come see the physician, after hours, weekends, whatever worked for their patients. And this type of flexibility is still really important, right? Especially in this moment as COVID cases are currently rising. But that's also a very system-serving way of thinking about flexibility, right? I have a limited set of resources, and I need to maximize those resources across my physician group, across my hospital, across my health system. But I think that today, eight months into the crisis and maybe a month or two back into back-to-school season, there is a different kind of flexibility that is needed in the workforce, Yeah, absolutely. So we saw this tale of two workforces pre-COVID or during COVID, sorry, that was who's in the front lines, who's on the sidelines, right? We had medical ambulatory physicians sidelined and clinicians sidelined, whereas those in the hospital were ramping up. And now we have this division in the workforce where some folks are able to come back full-time in person like they did pre-COVID and others are the primary caregivers for their kids Mm -hmm. or they're able to work from home, right? So there's a real bifurcation of the workforce. And there's a lot of personal and professional reasons for anyone to seek a little bit of extra flexibility. But for the purposes of this conversation, let's just focus on childcare. Lauren, How big of a problem is this for the healthcare workforce? Well, working parents around the country can tell you that childcare is just a huge issue nationally, but healthcare employees are disproportionately impacted by childcare for a few reasons. So first of all, most of them are essential workers. They're clinicians who are having to come in every day. And even though for those who are working at home, it's not ideal to be watching your children and trying to work, healthcare workers don't even have the option, Mm -hmm. which is really difficult for them. So at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, the Center for American Progress estimated that around 4.6 million healthcare workers, which is about 30% of the total healthcare workforce, have children who are too young to be left home. Wow. And I think it's also important to note that the healthcare industry is made up of mostly women, and the pandemic is really disproportionately impacting working mothers. So that's also weighing very heavily on the healthcare industry as a whole. I just want to underscore that for a moment because the flexibility childcare issue has always been something that has come back on women. Mm-hmm. And you're saying that in a part of the economy that is mostly made up of women, this is something that's going to hit the healthcare industry harder than virtually any part of the American economy. Yeah, actually, pre COVID, Ray, 40% of women who became physicians went part time or left medicine altogether within six years of completing residency. Wow. So it's been a problem pre COVID that COVID has just exacerbated and shined this whole other level of light on. I think everyone listening to this podcast, and certainly the three of us, knows someone or has a story about somebody who has dealt with this problem. Like you said, Sarah, this isn't actually something that's all that new. And it's also coming at a time when the pandemic was already disproportionately impacting working moms. Yeah. And I think it's also important to add that not all women who are healthcare workers are impacted equally by the childcare burden. So even though certainly female physicians are really disproportionately impacted comparatively to their male colleagues by childcare burdens, 
there's a whole segment of working moms uh, who are healthcare workers who don't really have the resources to hire nannies and babysitters and who are really struggling. Hmm. So in addition to having a large uh, proportion of working moms in the workforce, healthcare also has a larger proportion of single parents, many of whom are, are working moms. And childcare is a big burden on, on those parents. So for example, my own mom was uh, a single mom when she just got out of nursing school. And she luckily, and I think this is the case for many uh, single moms who are working nurses or healthcare workers, she had family, uh, her mom and her mother-in-law to take care of my older brother at the time. But she didn't have the resources if they were unavailable to hire a nanny or a babysitter. So when she didn't have childcare, she would take the night shift and then stay up all day with my brother and then go back oh to work goodness. and work another 12. I know. And the thing is, you know, it's not ideal, but parents do stay up all night and don't get a lot of sleep with their kids. But I think what's happening now is that that is just the reality for single parents and working moms right now who day after day with no end in sight are working their 12 hour shifts and then coming home and staying up all day with their kids. And also not only, you know, napping and keeping an eye, but also teaching and taking on all these other responsibilities. And so it's no wonder then that women in the workforce, whether they're physicians or nurses, faced with the incredible difficulty of balancing work and childcare, sometimes decide to do what your mom did, Lauren, which seems so impossible to me, and other times leave the workforce entirely, which creates its own problem. It's something that I think you and your team have defined as the nursing complexity challenge. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So what we're finding in the nursing workforce is that the workforce is getting pretty polarized in terms of age and experience. So you have a big group of baby boomers who are exiting the workforce because they're retiring and a big influx of novice staff who are new graduates right out of nursing school. But you see a dip in the middle of those pretty competent and expert staff that have between, say, seven to 10 years of experience. Hmm. And that's an issue because when you look at even though some organizations are struggling with a nursing shortage across the board, most organizations in the country are facing a shortage of really specialized staff. And I think really importantly right now of critical care staff. That's right. And so when you think about the way that child care impacts that shortage, what you're seeing is your specialized and experienced nurses who are exiting the workforce in droves because the roles and times and schedules that are allotted to them are not working for the child care and other responsibilities they have at home. So said another way, because we didn't have flexible roles for a core part of our healthcare workforce and they're forced to leave, then when the industry is faced with a pandemic, we don't actually have the senior specialized expertise to deploy to actually combat that pandemic. So it's sort of a double whammy. That's right. And I think what is important to add on to that, it's not that we are at this point where we don't have the staff that we need, and that's scary enough. But it's that we're already so worried about retaining the staff that we've had who've been through an incredibly traumatic experience and who are now taking on additional child care burdens. Mm -hmm. So I think the big question is, if we aren't able to give this flexibility, are we going to see an ever widening experience complexity gap that will potentially impact quality and safety? We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break. There's a lot at stake for healthcare in the 2020 elections. 
for a breakdown of the key issues, latest developments, and insights on how policy changes will impact healthcare leaders, go to advisory.com slash 2020 elections. There you'll find a really great piece on the public option and what it would really mean for hospitals. And be sure to check out our rundown on the debates and where the candidates stand on the issues you care about. No matter what happens in the elections, healthcare will change next year. Find out what you need to know about and prepare for by visiting advisory.com slash 2020 elections. And this is a hard moment for, I think, the healthcare leaders listening to this podcast, because it's an area where, frankly, there aren't a lot of best practices because it's not something that we've historically done. But I do want to make sure that we're giving advice to the frontline leaders who are trying to create more flexible options for their workforce. Sarah, what should leaders be doing in the short term? The biggest thing I come back to is something that we talked about before the pandemic, which is capacity management. However, the challenge around capacity management has only been exacerbated. In the absence of a surge, like you were saying, we have this surge of outpatient visits. We have this surge of patients who are seeking care in all sites of care. In the absence of that, that's going to put a strain on your workforce and on your capacity. Now you take away members of the workforce that would help you get that surge in. So we really need to look at all of the people that a patient needs to touch throughout the experience Hmm. and figure out how we maximize the capacity from each of those people, how we maximize the care team, how we maximize our scheduling, Mm -hmm. really go back to the roots of access expansion and apply them to this different and kind problem. How about on the inpatient side, Lauren? What are some things that leaders can do sort of right now? Right now, the number one priority should be retaining any and all working parents however you can. Hmm. There are a lot of rules that organizations have in place to help them have a little bit more stable staffing, to help their managers out from a scheduling perspective. So having a certain amount of staff that are full-time versus part-time, sticking to 12-hour shifts rather than offering shorter shifts like four, six, or eight hours. But I encourage organizations, whatever you have to do, do that. If someone comes to you and they say, I can only work for four hours during the day, try to make it happen. Six hours a day, try to make it happen. If they want to switch to all nights and weekends and they can't work the day shift, try to do whatever you can to keep those staff. Because it's not only important to maintain those staff right now in the case of a possible surge. And that's a pretty likely scenario and reality for a lot of people right now. But once you start to lose staff, you may lose them forever. It's hard Mm. to stay on top of your competencies and one thing can lead to another. And then all of a sudden it's two years since you were in the nursing workforce and you are really unsure about if you can come back, if you're going to be able to deliver that high quality care. I mentioned that this is sort of a universal challenge without you know, widespread best practice guidance, but are there some kind of classic solutions that leaders have already done before that they should be making sure they're pulling on those levers right now? Yeah, Ray. So we've seen organizations on both the inpatient and the ambulatory side really ramp up the number of staff in their float pools. We have historically had smaller float pools, especially on the ambulatory side. And there's a realization that we need to have these flexible shift-based options for working parents. Hmm. And I would add on to that, that whatever organizations can do in the way of offering childcare support, they should do that. So I know that for organizations, sometimes a full-on daycare is not going to be 
possible right now to operationalize and set up. But there are organizations that you can partner with who can make emergency drop-in childcare possible or backup childcare. And organizations could also consider subsidizing childcare. So for example, um, in, in the example of my mom who, you know, couldn't get backup childcare way back in the day, if she had been, had a subsidy for childcare or if she had an emergency childcare option, she could still work all night, but then sleep during the day as a babysitter was there. Mm. So I think there's a pretty wide range of ways that organizations can offer more childcare support than they have right now without having to fully set up a daycare at this moment. This is a long-term problem, so it is going to require a long-term solution. Sarah, what are you hearing from folks on the ambulatory side of the house? Like you said, this isn't COVID shed a light on this problem that we've had for a while, and I, I feel like we're almost in, reacting in crisis mode, right? So we're trying to pull every lever that we can pull to fix the problem, but some of these levers are actually ones that we should continue to pull to sustain the change long term. I mentioned earlier that we have historically thought about the ambulatory space as a very nine to five, Monday through Friday type of scheduling, but patients haven't wanted that for a really long time. Mm-hmm. If we're going to lean in and be able to address the patient preferences that we've known for a while, but as someone said to me recently that COVID shined a light on, we need to be able to offer flexibility. It's a win-win, right? So I think about it as playing Tetris with the schedule. You may not need someone that comes in from 9 to 5 Monday through Friday. Instead, you may need someone who comes in from seven to three, and then leaves and comes back, right? Goes home, puts their kids to bed, feeds them dinner, and works again at nine o'clock for two hours. Maybe that's what they want. So Hmm. I would suggest that organizations look for synergies between the flexibilities that their staff want and the hours that their patients want and see how they can rearrange the schedule to meet both. Lauren, how about on the inpatient side? I second Sarah's recommendation of looking for synergies between what you need from a staffing perspective and the things that your staff need. I think, you know, in the inpatient side, that's going to look a little bit different. So people are going to want flexibility for different reasons, and you're going to need to figure out what that is and create a subset of roles or alternative offerings that are going to be able to meet that flexibility. I think that the way that clinicians and nurses are thinking about the benefits that they appreciate from an employer are changing or they might change based on COVID. Mm. Childcare burdens have rarely impacted them as much as they have right now. And even though for most organizations, it hasn't been a traditional part of the benefits that they offer their nursing staff and others, that might change. And I really encourage leaders and organizations to keep an eye on exactly what their staff value lest you be kind of kept out of the loop and end up losing your staff to the hospital down the street who decides to offer those type of benefits. Lauren, that's such an important point. And I think it's something that even outside of the healthcare industry, every single leader in this country, probably in the world, is starting to think about how much do employees value things like remote work, value things like work-life balance, value things like childcare. But I'm having a little bit of difficulty squaring what, you know, the Googles and the Microsofts and the Twitters of the world are doing versus our industry that at some point does require physicians and nurses and medical assistants to actually come in person and interact with a patient. What is actually the right answer when it comes to virtual versus remote work for clinical staff? 
Well, on the nursing side, you're absolutely right that there will be weekend shifts and there will be night shifts until the end of time. And those will probably always be really unpopular. But the way in which our staff work and the way in which we deploy them are the levers that organizations have to pull. So even though you do have to have people working at night, does it always have to be in 12 hour increments? Does it always have to be at the same location? And what wiggle room can you offer Mm. in that way? And the other thing I would mention is we have taken a very, the way that we deploy nurses is really in a primary nurse staffing model. Is there, are there alternate roles that you could create that are less physically demanding or operate at different hours in the inpatient side um, so that you can offer those to staff who need them? We have this tension that we've always had between standardization and autonomy, right? You have it regardless of the care space you're talking about. You have it when it comes to scheduling with HR policies. And when I talk to physician executives right now, they feel those two things butting heads because we have historically tried to standardize so much. And I don't think standardization is wrong by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think that we need to figure out where we should have standardization and where we have to allow for autonomy in order to meet patient demands, to retain our workforce, and to kind of grow the industry long-term. This is such an important point, Sarah, because when I tend to have conversations with leaders about flexibility, it's honestly met with a little bit of fear, right? Whether it's fear of too much flexibility, right? That caricature of the physician who leaves the office early to go play golf. Uh, Or there's fear around who, I want to say, deserves flexibility and, you know, battling against a very old school way of thinking that the people who deserve the flexibility are the physician and no one else. Sarah, what do you have to say to that pushback? Yeah. I mean, historically, we've had this almost fear of of upsetting the physicians, right? Like we need our physicians. We worry we aren't going to have enough if we push too far away from that personal autonomy. But we haven't worried as much about the rest of our workforce. And so it's especially not physicians as much as some of the Mm. other parts of the workforce who need that flexibility right now. And there's a good reason to give it, right? Even pre-pandemic, medical assistant turnover rates were skyrocketing. Right. It was one of the biggest challenges that we that we were facing on the care team. I wonder, and I don't know the answer to this question, how much of that could be fixed if we actually let people have a little bit more flexibility in their schedule, flexibility in how they're working and what they're doing, as opposed to just expecting them to take the schedules or the the workflows that we give them. I totally agree. And I think it's also important to point out that those are the staff that need flexibility the most. They're the staff who are least likely to have the income to hire babysitters and nannies, Mm. and they could really benefit the most out of the care team. Well, Sarah, Lauren, I appreciate you both coming on and talking about, you know, a challenge without a lot of answers. But I do want to give you each a moment to speak directly to our listeners when it comes to flexibility and childcare, what's the one thing you want leaders in healthcare to focus on right now? We have a really unique moment in time right now where all of our incentives are aligned in a way that I haven't seen them. So we have physicians and other clinicians who need flexibility in their schedules. We have uh, drop in volumes that, at least on the ambulatory side, that is encouraging physicians to see patients outside of the times they normally would. 
We have an influx of patients who couldn't get seen who want to come in. And we have patients who also are impacted by the pandemic and their their own children having to do virtual school who also need that flexibility in their schedule. So we have this level of, of buy-in and also market forces that I don't know if we're going to see again to really lock in these flexibilities long term. So now is the time to look at the policies to make the investments that will help you preserve this in the workforce moving forward. Lauren, what about you? Well, in the words of a CNO I spoke with the other day, we need to move from work-life balance to work-life integration because, you know, traditionally leaders and organizations have seen, okay, I will take care of you when you're at work. I will create a good environment and then you can go home and lead your life. But the truth is, it's more today than ever. People are parents 100% of the time, um, even more so than they are clinicians, And we need organizations to focus on that whole person. And I think that you can see that trend in the way that people are thinking about resilience and wellness, particularly today. But we really need to have childcare and the way that we are supporting responsibilities outside of work be a part of that conversation. Hmm. So smart. Well, Sarah, Lauren, thanks for coming on Radio Advisory. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me again. I'm surprised you didn't say, wait, Can I say one more thing? (laughs) Third time's the charm. Exactly. Got it all out this time. The lack of flexibility in the workforce is clearly a huge problem right now. But the pandemic didn't create the childcare issue. Anyone who's listening to this podcast probably knows someone, whether it's yourself or your parents or your grandmother, who went through a problem like this in their life. So long-term problems require long-term solutions. And like Sarah said, this is the moment to start making change. If you're interested in learning more about this topic, we actually have an event on building a flexible workforce coming up on December 3rd. You can learn more about what we have in store and sign up at the link in our show notes. And remember, we're here to help. Lauren, can you also please tell your mom that she is a total badass for all of us? She's been texting me different stories from her nursing friends all day and stuff about flexible staffing. I know. That's amazing. That is really adorable and equally depressing at the same time. I have to tell you that.